It's time for the morning brief, and Preet Banerjee is here, personal finance commentator, the founder of Money Gaps. Nice to have you, sir. Good morning, John. So I don't know that this is necessarily something somebody's going to walk up to uh, a friend on the street and say, did you hear about the dissolution of Peel region? (laughs) But it's a pretty dramatic development. Doug Ford said he was going to break up Peel. And now, and I don't know that the timing is necessarily coincidental, but it could be now that Bonnie Crombie, mayor of Mississauga, is going to take him on as a rival. All of a sudden, he's changed his mind. Yeah. And, you know, when it comes to the dissolution of the region, um, I guess some promises were made to uh, Hazel McCallion, and apparently this would be going back on that promise. But I'm okay with that. I don't think she should take a decision as serious as the dissolution of a region, which affects so many people and has so many ramifications for, you know, distribution of services and what have you, just because you made a promise to someone. I would like to see an independent third-party committee actually study the economic analysis of it as to whether or not it makes sense. Right now, it seems to be just battling ideologically, and it almost feels like it's 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 a personality conflict more than it is about the people at this point, the way it's being positioned. Yeah, you're right. There's something very arbitrary about it. I mean, we are living in an era where we amalgamate things, so the dissolution of Peel always struck me as a little weird. Yeah, and again, uh, there might be some benefits to it. I, I believe uh, that that uh, Ms. Crombie was in support of dissolution because of the disproportionate amount of money that Mississauga was paying in, and basically uh, a municipal level of equalization payments going to other municipalities in the region. But again, I'd like to see the perspectives being represented by the other regions as well, uh, because presumably there's some benefits to the amalgamation, and I'd like to know why you would just sort of unwind that. What's not working about that amalgamation and does that mean there are ramifications for other cities that have amalgamated doug ford doubled down on the house yesterday um, talking about bonnie crombie and private planes and her maseratis and bonnie crombie (laughs) just came back and said this is just so lame and it is actually i mean first of all apparently she says she's never been on a private plane second of all the house is not actually in the hamptons and the final thing preet would be i don't think anybody ever has to apologize for having money and enjoying the good things in life. Yeah, no, my focus on this is that this is going to shape up to be quite a rivalry because I think the premier is feeling the heat. And, uh, you know, I don't think he would lash out so strongly at someone he doesn't see as a threat. And so by coming out like this so early and so furiously, it shows me that he's sort of on the back of his feet here. Uh, His position is weakened as a result of the Greenbelt scandal. And for the first time in a long time, the the liberals look like they've got his attention and he might be a little bit nervous about it. Yeah, I honestly think his better strategy would have been to say, I congratulate the Liberal Party on the election of their new leader. Mm-hmm. Good yeah, night. absolutely. Absolutely. Strategically, I think that would have made sense. But this, I think, is very indicative of how he feels uh, as to how much of a threat uh, Crombie is. A couple of stories today about uh, kids and young people. Let's do the first one. Apparently, kids, and this is internationally, uh, were set back probably by about a half a year by the COVID pandemic. And this is in their math and reading scores. Yeah, and of course, depending on on where you're looking, the results are even worse than that. Uh, In some cases, you know, the percentage drop for, I think, Canadians was something like 15. And if you had a score of 20, it'd be like a equivalent to a full year setback. So I think Canadian 
kids nationally were set back by three quarters of a year. But some other countries had setbacks that were far greater. And of the countries that had improvements, uh, they were coming off of very low scores initially. So across the board, I don't think it comes as a surprise that the level of disruption that we have, and you know, here in Ontario with the strikes, that this would have a negative impact on uh, on the scores of kids. I think the question is, what do we do now? How do we get them back up to where they should have been? And the other story about kids and young people would be that the use of social media is being linked to all kinds of bad habits. And by that, I mean everything from alcohol consumption to sexual indiscretion, all kinds of stuff. And I would say, you know, if ever there was proof of McLuhan's theory about how media alters people, it would be something Mm. like the Internet and social media and YouTube and Instagram and all that stuff. It's not surprising to me at all that something as surface as social media could start upsetting the way kids think. Yeah, and I, this comes as no surprise to anyone listening, because as soon as that first kid ate a Tide Pod, <laughs> we, we knew that there was a serious impact here, because that is just the height of stupidity. And it wasn't an isolated incident. And there's all these challenges, and the online behavior and wanting to fit in, the social hurting, of course, this was going to have negative impacts. It's the degree to how bad these negative influences have been that I think is maybe uh, a bit shocking. So we didn't need a study to tell us that this was having a negative impact, but I am all for the rigorous research being done to help understand how it's happening and specifically what can we do about this going forward? Because again, I, I'm, I'm half joking about the Tide Pods, but yeah, kids actually ate Tide Pals and I think some of them died. And there's other things like walking on the edges of, you know, tall skyscrapers to get clicks and likes and what have you. So when we take a look at, you know, gambling ads and now we're seeing that, you know, younger adults are getting addicted to gambling and other different types of behavior that's just negative for them in the long term, it reinforces to me the urgency with which we need to address media and information literacy, not only in kids, but also adults, because I don't know if we could come up with legislation fast enough that keeps up with the changes in, you know, the evolving landscape of online content. And so we have to equip people with the ability to understand, you know, how to identify misinformation, disinformation, the impact of advertising on me. Maybe it's a fool's errand, but I Mm. feel we need to do a lot more here. I find this, though, to be particularly compelling because generation by generation, we've always said, you know, television is ruining kids. Um, Then it was rock and roll was ruining kids. But actually, I think the internet is like another existence. And I don't think there's any closing the door on this. It's it's about how you interact. In the old days, you had to pick up a phone and call somebody or go over and see them face to face. Now you can be interacting with somebody. As it turns out, sometimes they don't even exist. I don't think there's any changing the future when it comes to kids and social media. Yeah, you're absolutely right. We've we've crossed the Rubicon on it. It's out there. It's in the world. We're not putting that genie back in the bottle. And and again, it's it's an arms race in terms of sort of like a technological and social arms race. As soon as we come up with some way to, for example, combat voice cloning technology, um, then someone else has come up with something that's even better that can fool those detection technologies. And so at the end of the day, we have to take more responsibility for 
how we digest information overall. Because I think we've seen, you know, this polarization of society, a lot of it built on just feelings as opposed to facts has been very damaging. So this kind of dovetails with what we're talking about. Uh, old media going out of style. Reader's Digest Canada is shutting down. And, you know, I spent many a time in a dentist's office reading Reader's Digest. I was published in Reader's Digest, but I guess its time has come. Right, because now what happens is if you're in a waiting room, you look around and people are on their phones. And if you think about what Reader's Digest kind of was, it was the smorgasbord of information, you know, all different sort of aspects of life. And you could kind of pick and choose and hopefully find something that appealed to you. And that was kind of the precursor of the Internet, in a sense, because the Internet is just a little bit more bespoke, but it's still a smorgasbord. There's everything out there. There's always going to be something for anyone, but it's just more dynamic, more real time. And there's just so much more content. And so I'm actually kind of surprised that Reader's Digest is still around. Um, But uh, I guess congrats to them for making it 76 years. Well, and you're absolutely right, because all you need to do is go to Google News or any other aggregator site and that's what readers digest always was which was they would identify a feature or an article or column and they'd say this is good we're going to put it into readers digest but who needs that anymore right yeah it used to be professionally curated as sort of a potpourri but now it's curated by our friends on social media and they kind of crowdsource what is going to catch our attention for the day thank you sir good to have you Thanks, John. That is Preet Banerjee. If you like what you hear from Preet, you can check out more on the web at his website, Money Gaps.